technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today, and we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... We've got to pay attention to our customers, the, the ones that are consuming these services, whether they be an enterprise or, or a, a, a consumer, a, a residential customer. It doesn't matter. We have to pay t- attention to them equally because with SaaS, SaaS, one of its basic foundational tenets is that you are providing a service in a consistent way that's demonstrating value that's going to keep your customers coming back. And that's the lifeblood of, of any SaaS business. You're listening to the Futurismic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. industry isn't migrating to 5G, it's evolving to 5G. And that requires a wholesale change in the way communications service providers do business with their enterprise customers and how those customers interact with their own. The move to cloud native isn't just for the radio access network, it's for the customer as well. And Mark Bunn says the days of customized siloed software solutions for them are over. Software as a service isn't new for most industries, but it is for telecom and it requires new thinking and new business models and a willingness to act like a startup by moving fast and breaking things. The Dallas-based senior VP of SaaS business operations at Nokia tells me SaaS is a tectonic shift for telecom. So SaaS clearly is a mainstream concept in most industries, but yet in, in our industry, in the communications industry, it's yet to be widely deployed. Instead, the telecom industry today is largely dominated by on-premise, uh, customized software de- deployments, um, and that's likely influenced by our heritage and highly um, hardware-intensive, um, um, uh, the highly hardware-intensive nature of our industry. Um, however, in recent years, the hardware itself has become smarter as the software has become more uh, prevalent in those hardware devices. And then gradually we've segregated, um, sometimes we like to use these fancy words like disaggregated, the software from the hardware. So while it's true that we still require hardware deployments for certain types of communication services today, our software is reaching a state in which it can be hosted uh, literally anywhere. So this steady evolution, it just it sets the stage for what I consider a major paradigm shift for communication software to be provided and consumed in a SaaS, a software as a service delivery model, which is quite different from the way software is delivered today in our industry. The steps communication service providers have to take to offering software as a service, they need to be incremental, though. We can't just jump right into this blindfolded. What are some examples of software as a service a telecom provider like a, a Nokia or a CSP, like a national wireless operator, should be offering enterprise customers? Yeah, I, that's a that's a good question. I, I think um, you maybe start with the the recognition that um, software as a service isn't new, right? So it's 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 like I said before, it's mainstream in other industries. So there should be no reason for us to you know, stub our toe, so to speak, on the challenges that others have already overcome. 
Um, so it's important that the providers, when they think about software as a service and they think about how they're going to consume it, so how, uh, how they would receive it or what they would use from a vendor like us, uh, Nokia, uh, or how they would offer a service to their customers, that they do so you know, very deliberately. And as you rightly said, Michael, they, you know, it's a incrementalism, I think, is really important here. Um, terminology that you're going to hear me use from time to time is crawl, crawl, walk, run. I feel like that's that's where we are uh, in, in our industry. And so we should be transitioning deliberately. Um, we should look at some of the former experiences that we had, learn from them, like um, uh, NFE, Network Functions Virtualization, where we tried to apply a one-size-fits-all approach. It didn't. It, it didn't really work, but but it worked for some particular use cases. Uh, in this case, I think we need to do the same. So for me, I think you start by defining a multi-year journey, right? So think of this as the long game, not not a short game, uh, and start with applications that have a natural affinity for a SaaS deployment, such as analytics. Um, our customers are asking for analytics applications today from, from Nokia. Uh, our customers, customers, uh, enterprises would be asking for analytics packages from, from them. Uh, analytics is just a natural place, I think, to start with a SaaS deployment. Some of the others to consider would be in the areas of security and threat management, which would be increasingly popular as we continue to, to go through this whole evolution of software and what that implies. Um, some of the more tricky bits, uh, the, the systems of record, the what we have historically referred to in our industry as our BSS, our business uh, systems support systems and our operational support systems, OSS, um, those will become SaaS over time, but um, there's you know just there's so many on-premise, highly customized deployments that are are uh, in in use today. But I think as those become SaaS offerings, they really should be focused on probably new business lines. You know, maybe a, an IoT business line to start. Eventually, I think consolidation of those systems of record into SaaS offerings would make sense, but I think there will still be some challenges just because of how we have historically gotten to this point. And so in summary, incrementalism probably does apply. I think there could be some radical shifts in certain areas where SaaS just simply makes sense. Analytics is one that's top of mind for me. Well, as you say, incrementalism is important, but you've also said, you know, we shouldn't have to stub our toe uh, trying to deploy a SaaS environment. And I suppose because the industry has experience in managed services, um, there is some comparable and relevant internal knowledge that can be applied. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, so we ha um, do have a, um, uh, a strong capability. The, the vendors do, and, and even the industry does, have a, a strong capability in, in managed services. And I see managed services as um, one vehicle to, to get us to, to SaaS. In fact, I see managed services even benefiting from SaaS. Um, there are some similarities as well as some differences. Um, I think, um, though, when I think when I was making the reference about stubbing the toe, you know, I, I, I think it's important just to look outside of our industry. And sometimes I think it's, it's human nature to be uh, too in, inwardly focused. A lot of companies have gone through this transition. They've written books on it <laughs> about what's good and what's bad and what's ugly. Let's not ignore their experiences. They're, they're easy to, to, to 
to really internalize for ourselves. So all I'm saying is let's look over the, the fence and let's take a look at what some of these leading companies have done when it when it came to their transition to SaaS, whether they be ones that adopted SaaS and, and started to move from more of an on-premise model to a SaaS model or companies that offered SaaS or companies at one time offered an on-premise model that was their predominant business model. And then they made a change to software as a service. Um, those experiences are, are um, widely available. We should, we should take a look and, and understand them and understand what, uh, what um, uh, constitutes good, mature software as a service offering. So through our conversation today, we're not just talking about players like Nokia providing software as a service to CSPs, but also CSPs providing that SaaS to their clients. Uh, what kind of margins should a CSP expect when it's offering SaaS to its enterprise clients? One of the characteristics of a mature SaaS offering is that you're able to provide a, I'm going to use a, the word framework uh, very broadly, but, but basically provide both a technical and commercial framework with uh, essentially a unified way of delivering the service and done so in a highly automated way such that we're moving further away from the um, our standard operating procedure, SOPs and MOPs um, heritage that we've that that really has infused this this industry for some time. Definition: Techopedia describes a MOP as a method of procedure, a step-by-step -step sequence for performing an operation. It tells the maintenance and operations technicians how to execute the actions in order to perform an operation. A SOP is a standard operating procedure, the step-by-step -step set of instructions to help employees carry out routine operations efficiently, consistently, and within industry regulations while reducing miscommunication. We're replacing with software. So essentially software is driving software and it's that automation software that is enabling us to be able to deliver capabilities faster, to, to upgrade, you know, on demand daily, hourly, if, if necessary, to to um, 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 test serve or test new markets, right? To to provide new uh, products to market much more quickly than we could ever do before. And as a result of that velocity, and then the ability to start to pull some of the costs that were really an impedance to us to to being able to scale out of the business, what we see naturally is there's a margin creation. And then it only grows as more customers start to onboard to that service. We're starting to serve those customers with the same framework that we had before. We're not having to add more people. Um, we're not having to necessarily even add more software once we reach a mature state in order to serve a, a, a much higher number of customers or a larger number of customers. And that's when the margins start to, to appear. Right now, the, there's, you know, if, to set the risk of sounding um, like I'm a capitalist, um, sure, we want, to, we want to make money. Our customers want to make money, and, and so do, do vendors. But this is a, you know, for, from Nokia's perspective, we're a partner to our customers. And, and this is an ecosystem. Um, it always has been. Uh, is becoming increasingly so, and so really any economies of scale that we uh, that we achieve as a result of of reaching these margins, they would naturally get passed on to the ecosystem, right? And then you create a really healthy environment for everybody in that ecosystem to grow.
I suppose that brings us back to the tectonic shift comment uh, that we were discussing a little bit earlier. The idea that there is experience in managed services, putting out a product, making it available, but it's that economies of scale that really brings you those margins. It's difficult to say what the margin figure is if a CSP isn't taking that SaaS offering and making it available to multiple clients, whereas in the olden days, it was customized software for a specific client. And then when someone new came in the door, he had to start all over. That's exactly right. And that's one of the problems that we see today in our industry is you could probably go to, you know, every operator, they'll admit this because I've had these discussions with them. They'll go to every operator and they'll point to multiple instances or siloed instances of, of the same system. These are back office systems. They there aren't they don't really create any competitive advantage. They're necessary for these these uh, our customers to run their business. And then if they're large enough, they may have various uh, uh, operating companies, and each has their own. And they've you know to make matters worse, um, they they may have customized it um, extensively to match whatever their business process was at the time. And that gets so heavy and so hard to maintain, so expensive, that eventually they just can't, they, they can't do much more with it. They cannot move forward in that model. They have to find a different model. And so that's what drives a, a lot of buying decisions that I see today is just the need to, to, to move to something that is fresh. Um, but what we have to be careful is not to necessarily accept the more of the same, right? And so one of the key and, um, movements that is happening in our industry is highly important and, and very relevant to SaaS is cloud native. Because cloud native, while I don't consider it necessarily the end game, I do see it as a, a clear means to an end, that, that all software that we should be uh, deploying today should be cloud native or at least have a roadmap to reach a, some level of cloud native maturity. And from that, what we can do is we can you know start to uh, realize some of the operational excellence improvements that come with uh, the auto orchestration capabilities, the self-healing capabilities that naturally make uh, SaaS easier to provide. You're talking about the architecture of SaaS driving profitability ultimately, because there is a difference between the single tenant and the multi-tenant business model that SaaS provides. Yeah, I mean, just to, to pick up maybe on two points that you're raising here. You know, one, one question I'm asked a lot of times is what's the difference between between on-premise and SaaS? Uh, isn't SaaS just really kind of on-premise hosted for a number of customers? And and um, an answer can be, you know, yes, no, maybe, depending on, on how you approach it. Um, fundamentally, the difference between on-premise and SaaS is defined by the implementation of the business model itself, right? So, so um, we think and when we, we, a lot of times, uh, Michael, when we talk in terms of tenancy, we think about a technical architecture. That's not what I'm thinking about at all at this moment. I'm thinking about a business model that caters either, you know, quite well to a single tenant or a business model that caters quite well to multiple tenants aggregated, right? So in a single tenant business model, which is represented by an on-premise deployment, um, it's established for one and only one customer. And it's further uh, defined and exemplified when the deployment is uniquely tailored, right? Because then it gets, becomes even more excessively focused on one and only one customer and hard to be used by other customers. The multi-tenant business model, however, 
such as one that's delivered by SaaS, result in all of the tenants receiving a similar experience with some acceptable exceptions of configuration variations, such as the scale of service. So each customer may have a different scale. They may use the service more than another, but as far as their experience is concerned, it's very similar. And so when you get into that kind of model, a multi-tenanted business model, that's where the architecture starts to play a critical role in, in two ways. One, I've already referred to cloud native. When cloud native is necessary for us to be able to um, to experience the benefits of things like auto scale, the ability to scale at both ends of the spectrum, whether this is a, um, a large deployment or a very, very small deployment. And then the second area where the, the, the technology and architecture comes into play is around the deployment and management and administration um, automation. Because in the mature SaaS uh, delivery model, uh, that's not done by humans. The software is written by humans, but the work, the hard work is done by software. So it's software managing software. And when we get to that stage of the SaaS game, then we, um, we experience those economies of scale that, that, we've, that we're looking for, right? Both us and as well as our customers. So as we talk about margins leading to increased profitability, what about the other side of, of that coin, the churn rate? The CSP is constantly focused on lowering the churn rate. Is there an argument to be made that software as a service helps do that? Well, certainly there's an argument to be made that um, if you have a high churn rate and you're running a SaaS business, then there's trouble, uh, trouble ahead. Uh, and there are books written on this, you know, how important the concept of customer success is to a SaaS company, not customer support, but customer success, engaging with the customers in a proactive way to make sure that they're getting value out of, out of the service. The technology is helpful for sure um, in, in retaining customers, especially if you can get to a high level of maturity where the software is always reliable and you're able to keep a roadmap that is consistent with the, the roadmaps of the customers, then you know you you'd retain them. Um, but I think I think what's you know vitally important, um, something that we, you know, every industry needs to learn, but but certainly now applicable as we think about these shifts that we're gonna go through is we've got to pay attention to our customers, the, the ones that are consuming these services, whether they be an enterprise or, or a, a, a consumer, a, a residential customer, doesn't matter. We have to pay t- attention to them equally because with SaaS, SaaS, one of its basic foundational tenets is that you are providing a service in a consistent way that's demonstrating value that's going to keep your customers coming back. And that's the lifeblood of, of any SaaS business. You've been quoted as saying that to become a powerful SaaS provider, it begins with a startup mentality. Um, whether it's Nokia's 92,000 people in a $27 billion company across 100 countries or a national CSP, how do you move fast and break things without breaking the wrong things? <laughs> yeah, I, I know I understand that uh, all too well. So first of all, yeah, this going back to your question about tectonic shift, right? Whenever there's a tectonic shift, um, usually the ones that can capitalize the most are the ones that are agile. And then they tend to be the startups. Um, so many times 
uh, companies that are in a position of leadership can be disrupted by um, for a variety of reasons by these kinds of shifts. Right? But but I think because of where Nokia is, where where we are with relationship to the industry and in the relationships we enjoy with our customers, we're in a in a great place to be able to help our customers along this this curve, this this learning curve and this technology curve that, that we're all going to go through together. Um, I think that one question that might be on folks' minds is, you know, well, really, what's in it for me? Can you can you nail it down for me? Why why do I even care about going through this this whole transition? Um, I think the the easy answer would be, well, it's going to happen whether we're ready or not. But the the more elaborate and compelling answer for our customers is that look, it's going to help us all with our our business plans, right? It's going to SaaS is an enabler to rapid time to launch you know new services. Um, it allows it's going to allow new companies or even um, uh, flanker brands of existing companies to test new markets to move into markets and out of markets really quickly because you don't have a lot of expense up front. Uh, in deploying hardware and software, you can just get on board, test the market, and move on, uh, move into the market, or move on if it doesn't work out for you. Um, one of the maybe the most compelling reasons why SaaS is important to our customers is that um, we've struggled with our on-premise deployments to stay on the most current versions of the software, including the security patches. Right, and in this day and age, that's something that nobody. <laughs> Can uh, can allow that uh, happen to, to get um, you know out of date with your security uh, programs. Um, so this again, perhaps one of the most significant benefits of our SaaS models is, uh, of SaaS models is that it enables our customers to stay current on the software. Um, and adding to that, you know, SaaS transfer security management risk to the SaaS vendor, right? And so these are all important considerations for for our customers. I think, though, for us to, in, in my position, the way I'm thinking about bringing this um, capability, this new strength to Nokia, I have to think of it as a startup or, or in a with a startup startup mentality because it is somewhat new and fresh for all of us. Uh, even though it is it is a, a SaaS capability that's been resident in other in other industries, but I think we just need to adopt it um, with an open mind. And we have to move very quickly in implementing um, the, the the business model along with the technology that underpins that business model. You advise Nokia to manage SaaS customers as herds, not pets. Um, I think we're going to need to explain that. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe it's not intuitive. Let me see if I can give you if I can explain it, and then uh, and then maybe give it even another analogy that, that might help. Um, so, so the use of the terms pets and herds are references that attempt to provide a relatable analogy. Um, as I've said a couple of times now, uh, Michael, it's been historically common practice in our industry for customers to implement specialized and often highly customized software and even hardware solutions. So I, I liken this activity to the relationship that we create with our pets, which need a lot of intensive care and feeding. Um, in contrast, SaaS begins with the assumption that all customers or tenants, as they're often called, uh, can be more efficiently managed when done in an aggregated, a standard, and a familiar way. 
Uh, and the benefit to the customers, as I've been trying to, to explain throughout the discussion, is that there are cost efficiencies that can be reflected in the price of the service and, and can be amplified when combined with the reduction in customization costs. Now, um, if, if it doesn't make sense to you when I use terms like pets and hurts, then perhaps a different analogy might be helpful. And that is one of um, um, a multi-tenant apartment complex versus a single tenant home. So you think about apartments, while the apartments can have configurable differences, um, there's generally generally little variation in things like the layout of the apartment, the appliances that you get with the apartment, and the decor that's all chosen for you. There's an apartment management company that looks after the grounds, the facilities, that looks after the security even on, on a regular schedule. Uh, and as a tenant, uh, my responsibility is to you know, consume the resources to live in the apartment and make sure I'm paying my monthly subscription so they don't, don't uh, throw me out. But in contrast, when you're living in a single tenant, single family home, you usually have the right to customize without constraints. You're responsible for your own maintenance, uh, both inside and outside the home. Um, any improvements that you're doing to the home, renovations, uh, taxes on the home, and even security are your responsibility. So consequently, while you get, have all those benefits living in a sing, you know, single family home, your expense is generally higher as well. So those are two analogies. Hopefully one of the two resonates with the audience. Well, with that in mind, give us your sense as to what it will take for SaaS to become the predominant business model that CSPs prefer? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I think it will go back to some of the advantages that I'd raised earlier. Um, and I think, I think the, the first thing I'd ask is for those listening, you know, keep an open mind. Um, for, as I mentioned before, you know, hardware is becoming software. Right. And then we took a step further a few years back and we disaggregated the, the, the software from the hardware and all the smarts are really in, in the software to the extent that, um, you know, that, that disaggregation continues to happen. Then software has to be managed in one way or another. Now we have historically wanted to retain control over that software the same way we retain the control over the hardware. But I just don't see why, in, especially not in all cases, but, but even in many cases, why that has to continue to be our norm. It seems like we're setting up for a new norm, with the same new norm that the, the, the other industries have adopted a long time ago, and that is software provided by vendors that can do it, can specialize in it and do it very well and provide a highly secure environment on demand, and, and they can do it better really than, than uh, the individual customers can do. And then what it does is it, yes, it takes away some of the control from the consumer, but also relieves the consumer of the responsibility for things that I don't see have a lot of differentiating value. Managing software packages, especially standard back office software packages, doesn't make a lot of sense in the long, in the long game. What makes more sense is to take that same investment, invest it in new lines of business or in new ideas that can be uh, enabled by SaaS offerings. See the future. Listen to what's next. Read about world-changing ideas. All by visiting nokia.com slash insights. The Futurithmic podcast with Michael Hainsworth is a Nokia original series.